I could listen to that choir sing that song all day. How's everybody doing? If you have your Bibles, turn them with me uh, to Luke chapter 4. And uh, we'll continue to worship God through hearing from his word together. A couple of things before we do that, though. Uh, I want to turn your attention as you're doing that to the back of your bulletins this weekend. Our novice to ninja prayer conference. We'll be giving out black belts in prayer. It'll be really awesome. Now, it's a great opportunity. You get 52 weekends a year. I'm asking you to spend this Friday night and Saturday morning with me and with the rest of our pastoral team and our other teachers uh, who are going to be encouraging us in our prayer lives to, to go deeper in, uh, in our discipline of prayer and to be able to hear God's voice as he leads us. So I'm going to be talking about temptation today. You better be able to hear Jesus in the midst of temptation. He's the one who's going to deliver you and I from evil. Amen? So prayer is a huge part of that. Hope you can take advantage of that with us this weekend. You can sign up at the guest services. Also, out there on the tables, you probably saw these uh, 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 life groups catalogs for spring 2015 are available. All of the life groups are uh, printed out there in a nice, hopefully easy-to-understand fashion. Uh, You can get in men's groups, women's groups, couples groups. They meet on all nights of the week uh, in all kinds of places. Uh, This is what we try to do. We try to get people out of the big room in the black chairs uh, into living rooms uh, and, you know, couches around our our community and getting to know each other, being in life with each other, being in families uh, within our larger family here at Bay Life Church. Uh, So if you haven't been a part of a life group yet, I pray this is the season that you take advantage of this great spiritual uh, growth opportunity. All right, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to preach. Then we're going to go and be changed. Amen? Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for a chance to uh, enter your uh, word now. And as we do, like we do every week, uh, we want to hear from you, the things that, that you want to challenge us with, the, the ways that you want us to change in life so that we uh, align with you and your plan for us better. As always, uh, i got to get out of the way for that to happen, so push me aside. I want to pray for everybody listening to me. I know they got plans for lunch and maybe football later today. I pray that they would give you their attention uh, for this, this next little bit, and that they'd hear from you on this all-important subject of avoiding temptation, overcoming sin, uh, and then that, they, that we'd all be able to go, God, uh, by your grace and in your strength uh, to, a, to a life that is um, less like we used to be and more like who we are in, in your son, Jesus. Uh, so lead us in that now, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. All right, turn to the person next to you. That's how we're going to get started today. I want you to share with the person next to you. Your earliest memory in life. Go back in your database and try to recall what's the first memory that you have of your existence. Go. Heard some laughter. Hopefully, you're able to go back. Maybe three years old, four years old. Is that where some of yours were? Yeah. Does anybody's earliest memory involve sin? My earliest memory. Maybe this is you. My earliest memory was hitting my brother in the head with our Taka truck and opening up his forehead, or uh, something like that. That wouldn't be my earliest memory. But I do, I do remember the first time, and maybe you do too, the first time that I did something and I knew inside my little brain that this was wrong. Can you remember that first 
uh, recall. Uh, mine, mine was I was I was at a, a, a drugstore uh, with my parents. It wasn't like the way the way they are now. It was like an old one, you know. Had a soda counter, had a had a display for the candy case, and and uh, and so my parents. It was the '70s, so parents just left their kids everywhere. And uh, my parents left me in the front of the store, and we're going to get whatever they were get. And I was standing by the candy candy glass, and I noticed that the candy display had, had had this little opening right by the edge. It had been pulled away from the moorings, and and a fat little you know fingered three year old hand could get in there and grab one of the gumdrops on the bottom shelf. Oh, I liked gumdrops, and I'm standing there. And it's vivid. I can still remember it today. I'm looking in this little gumdrop display, and I'm thinking, I could, listen, I could get in there and out before anybody saw me. And we all know that it's not a sin if you don't get caught, right? <laughs> if you're new to the conversation, that's not true. But uh, so, I, so I was like, and, and it's almost like the cartoons, you know, where the, the guy in the horns and the pitchfork came up on this side, and, and, the, and the dude with the halo and the wings was on this side, and and they both looked like me, and the guy with the horns is like, go for it, man. You love gumdrops, man. That is like a free gumdrop. And the ones on the other side, no, you got to pay for the gumdrops. This is a store. That'll be stealing. Before I knew it, my hand is in the case, right? I'm grabbing this gumdrop, and I'm as, as fast as I can. I'm trying to put this thing in my mouth, and that's when I heard her voice. There was an old lady who had been standing behind me the whole time watching me debate as to whether or not I was going to steal the candy. And back then, it's not like it is today. People got involved, right? Like this old lady was having none of that. This three-year-old is not getting away with theft. We are not going to be, you know, paying for his uh, room and board as, a, as an adult. Uh, and so we're going to say something about this. And she, she rang the alarm, you're stealing! And she went and got my parents. And that's probably why I remember this event so vividly because of what came after the actual gumdrop, it was, it was violent and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and ingrained. Uh, but yeah, uh, I wish I could tell you that was the only time. It's the only time I've ever sinned. I, I stole a gumdrop. That's it. I'm done. That was it. Uh, but I got better at sin. Did you? I think you probably did. Right. And, and we're all professionals now. Uh, and some of us, you know, we're very dignified in how we sin. No one can tell what we're thinking, what we're doing. It's, we've hidden it well, but we're, we're unfortunately <laughs> given over to sin. It's a sinful world. Uh, it's, you know, uh, sin kind of marks our existence. And uh, it, it's something that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, it's something we war against. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, it's, it's the principal thing standing in your way of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You receive from him his salvation. What's salvation for? It's to save us from our sin. Salvation initially is saving us from the penalty of our sin. It's what we are freed from, uh, you know, an eternity without God. But salvation from Jesus is meant from, uh, for, for us, not just for that initial uh, saving, but uh, consequential saving, saving again and again and again from sin. Like, like what, what, what did Jesus teach us to pray? Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what we pray to God all the day, all the time, we're supposed to, so that we are living lives that are less and less like we used to be in our old life and more and like, more and like we are now in the Christ life. Anybody here wrestle with sin? Okay, three of you. That's great. The rest of you, uh, 
you not putting your hand up was a sin. So uh, we'll just go from there. We all wrestle with sin. And, and some of us, we got the big sins. Uh, but everybody here has got little sins too. Like, let me, let me tell you why I bring this up. I, was, I, was, I bought a house. Eleanor and I bought a house. Yay, we got a house. And uh, thank you. I'm so thank you for being excited. Um, but it's an old house. It was built in 1961. It's never been remodeled. Never once. Never untouched. And, and, uh, and, and it's in this, it's a really pretty property, but it's just all overgrown. It's got all these trees. And so I had a, had a tree guy out, told me what I could cut and what I couldn't cut. Uh, so I didn't sin. Uh, but yesterday I went and bought a chainsaw and an axe. And I was looking at them. The chainsaw cost a lot of money. And I was like, you know, I probably got some friends who have chainsaws. And if I borrow their chainsaw, they might be so concerned that I'll break their chainsaw that they'll come over and chainsaw for me. <laughs> so I left my chainsaw in the box. And I took my axe down to my property and I started swinging. And I am sore. Oh, man. I am old. I got old fast. I don't know what happened, but it, it, you know, anyway, but, uh, I took down three trees yesterday, three trees, about, I don't know, 10, 12, 30 inches around. And, uh, with an ax, I feel, I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling like, a, mm. but, uh, it's funny. There's all these trees, uh, in front of the big tree. Have you noticed this? Like if you go to a tree, there's almost always, there's going to be the, like the acorns fell or the seeds fell and around the base of the big tree are little trees and little one inch saplings or whatever. And I kept trying to, you know, who's, who's done this? I'll just kind of stand on them or whatever so I can swing the axe, at the, you know. And uh, somebody like, I don't use an axe. That's why God made chainsaws. But anyway, uh, I'm swinging it, and I finally got tired. And so I just took a machete. I had a machete with me as well. And I just started hacking all those little saplings out of there. And I got all the little trees out so I could, I could swing at the big tree. And I was doing that yesterday. I was like, this is too weird. I, I mean, how often do I, you know, I haven't swung an axe in like 20 years. God, what is, why is this, you know. And it reminded me of sin. Like, I'm going to tell you today, God wants you to avoid sin, and most of you are going to go to the biggies. i got to, I got to knock down that tree in my life. i got to knock down that tree in my life. Oh, that's the biggie. Can I, can I guarantee you there's lots of little trees in front of your big tree that are making the big tree a bigger problem? Like, you can't really deal with the big tree until you get to the little trees. Like, like, like it, <laughs> if you can't, at the point of contact with a cashier at Chipotle, if they give you two extra dollars in change and you can't say with integrity, hey, you overpaid me, you overchanged me, and give them that money back, <laughs> you got to deal with that as much as you've got to deal with the big tree because that is going to keep you from really hanging out and, and, and doing harm to this, the bigger sins of you. Are you with me? The little things contribute to the big things. If you can't, uh, in the times where your relationship with your husband or your wife is dissatisfying with you, if you can't resist the temptation to go on Facebook and find your prom date and try to reestablish some connection there so that you get some, you know, some side emotional support, if you can't say no to that temptation, then you're going to have a hard time knocking down the big stuff in your, in your, in your sin life. Are you with me? And God wants us to deal with those things. So let's talk about sin today. He wants us to deal with the little trees, the big trees. And he gives us an ally in the process. His name is Jesus Christ. Heard of him? He is our Savior. Not just from sin and its penalty for eternity, but sin and its, and its place in our life from moment to moment. He wants to be our salvation in these issues, these little trees and big trees that you and I face. So let's talk about him. Jesus struggled through temptation just like we do. Be encouraged. 
He's fully man, fully God, and he struggled just like we do with the exception that he did not ever succumb. He never sinned. Tells us that in Hebrews chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus. He's the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, guys, we got Jesus. Be strong. Stand firm in this thing. He's on your side. You can handle whatever comes your way. He goes on and he says this. He says in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet, what? Without sin. So Jesus went through it all. He's been there. He's done that. He's got the T-shirt. He knows exactly what you're going through, having been tempted himself. In fact, Satan didn't send his minions he came full force as himself, and he, he, he came to Jesus with his own temptations. That's what we're going to cover today. He gets it. You've got to understand, Jesus had the propensity, the ability to sin. He was human. That's what made him human. He had weakness. He's, he, was, he was fallible. He never failed, but he had the potential to do so. That's why he's our perfect high priest. He went through all the same temptations and chose well. Now, Because Jesus aced his sin tests, he can help us with ours. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. It says this, For it was fitting that he, Father God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, wave your hands if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're the sons and daughters of glory. What's up? Okay? In bringing all of us to glory, that he should make the founder of our salvation perfect through what? Who's the founder of our salvation? Jesus. And how was he made perfect? Now, in his deity, he was always perfect, but as a man, could have gone either way. How was he made perfect? He was made perfect through his sufferings. He persevered. He was unrelented, or unrelentless. He, he, he went straight to the cross. It tells us that in Philippians, that he emptied himself, and he endured even to death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2, right? So he, in his sufferings, he was proven to be perfect as a man. In his... In his uh, refusal to fall to temptation, he was proven perfect as a man. Now look what it says later on in verse 18. It says this, for because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when what? When tempted. He, Jesus, is able to help those who are being tempted. How great is that? You and I have an ally in this quest for us to be free from sin. His name's Jesus. He was sinless. He's on board with you and me if we're followers of Jesus Christ. He is there at the ready to help us In the face of our temptation, say no. How is he able to do this? He he aced the test. He's overcome so we can overcome. When I used to study in in high school, it didn't happen often. I was one of those underachievers, you know. I tested off the charts with intelligence. That sounds braggadocious, but apparently I was a smart kid. I think I'm a dumber adult. But, uh, But I was supposed to do really well in school. I just couldn't be motivated to do so. I pray you're not this way. I'm not condoning that, children listening to me right now, but that's how I rolled. And so uh, I knew what what tests were the important ones. If I got a good grade on those, it would make up for all those assignments I just decided not to pass in, right? So I would I would seek to ace the midterm and the final in every one of my classes. And the way that I would do that is I would find the smart people to study to. I did not go to the people in the back row who sat next to me who were shooting spitballs all class. I did not go to them for help on the test. Why? because they were going to do the, their junior year for a third time, all right? They were not my go-tos. I would go to the people who sat in the front of the class, guys like Tim, 
who was a wrestler in my school, also went to Harvard. He's got more brain cells than I have to rub together, and he was very helpful in the process. He would always study with this girl named Stacy. She was a doctor uh, who ended up studying at Dartmouth, another Ivy League school. And so I would go to the, one of their houses, and they would get ready for the final, and I would listen to them as they studied together and hoped by osmosis that I would somehow you know, gather some of the answers so that when it came time for me to take the test the next day, I'd have some of the stuff that I needed for the test. Leaned on them heavily. They got me through high school. <laughs> Jesus can be leaned on when it comes to our, our sin issues, our temptations. He wants us to lean on him. He, he's, he's made it through. He's passed the test. He, he wants to help us with ours. Now, every sin test we face is passable. This, this, this is so important for us to understand. Because some of you are hearing me say this about Jesus. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand my sin. You don't understand my addiction. You don't understand my issues. I mean, I've been struggling with this for a long time. I just can't stop. I can't get over this bitterness. I can't shake this lust issue that I have. I just, you know, I, computers find me, and I'm always looking at stuff on them. I, 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 Mark, you just don't understand. No, I, I maybe don't personally. But the Bible says clearly that any sin issue that you and I face is overcomable. We, we, we can overcome our sin. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. Nothing new under the sun, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. It's the same sin batch that's been going on since the beginning of sin. You've had it. They've had it. Someone else will have it. But it's common. We, 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 this is nothing new. Not something God, it's, no, it's not a new strain that God doesn't have an antidote for. Are you with me? God, God is faithful. Everybody believe that? Yeah. He's unchanging. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And when you see your ability in there, don't see like your personal ability. See uh, yours and Christ's ability. There's nothing that God will allow to tempt you that you and Christ cannot defeat together. He says, but with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's just how it works. So hopefully that's encouraging to you. Hopefully that's like a, a boost. That there's, there's nothing that's beset me that through Christ I cannot have victory over. Isn't that great? Now, let, let's talk about sin. When, when does sin come on the, on the scene? When, when are we most likely to be tempted? Uh, first answer is always. <laughs> always. Like, 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 I don't know about you, but I can sin in the, in the weirdest ways at the weirdest times in the weirdest places. Like, I can, I can be singing that song that we just sang before I came out here. Uh, I believe in the Holy Father, or whatever that was, right? Remember that song? Okay. But then that person who cut me off on Kingsway as I was coming to church, and you looked at him, and you're like, ah, they walked past you to their seat. All right, and you see them, and you're like, "I believe in the Holy Father, and I hope that guy there dies." You know, you could just do that, right? <laughs> it could just happen. We're we're prone to wander, the hymn says, and it can we can wander at the weirdest times. But here, here's what I've found in my life. Maybe you found it too. That Satan, um, th- th- there are better times for him to tempt us. Like he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? You've heard that about him in First Peter. Uh, but uh, uh, lions, they don't hunt all the time. And they don't hunt every animal. Like they don't go after the, you know, the bull 
uh, the biggest, baddest bull in the wildebeest pack or herd uh, when it's surrounded by 400 other wildebeest. They don't like, I got to get to that big bull. He'll be great, you know. They wait for, for, for the un, unsuspecting. They wait for the weak, and they call those animals out of the herd, right? And so the same can be said of us. When are we weakest? When, when, does, when does Satan come after us? Well, one of the times that we're weakest and one of the times that we're often tempted is in a time of need. And Satan comes to us and he says, hey, man, I see that you're stressed. You got, you got some serious issues going on. You're in a time of need. Let me make this better. Uh, you know, most companies have had this happen to them once or twice. It's happened here in our history at, at our church where someone uh, had, a, had a financial need. And they saw the resources of the company that they looked at uh, or worked for. And they said, you know what? I could probably move some numbers around in this spreadsheet and I can take that money for myself. And I'll pay it back. I promise I'll pay it back. I mean, I just, I just got to get through this month because if I, if I miss this payment, I'll get evicted. Or if I miss this payment, it'll be even more money. So I'll just take this money. I'll move some stuff around and then I'll pay it back. And then they never pay it back. And then the next month they do it again. And the next month they do it again. And because of this great need, all of a sudden they're an embezzler. And now they're in, in jail right? Familiar with that law? It's called stealing. But why do people steal sometimes? Well, I just, you know, life was too hard. I just had need. And so I just took what I needed so it could be better. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the times that we're weak. Another, another time uh, that, that Satan uh, seeks to pick us off is not in a time that we're weak. It's in a time that we're feeling strong. He counts on our arrogance uh, to kind of open up some uh, opportunities for us, right? Everybody's seen that in the movies. You know, this, this unbeatable uh, bad guy all of a sudden, you know, opens up a chink in his armor, and that's when, you know, he falls, right? Satan has the same thing with us. He comes to us, and he tempts us in times of plenty with things that we think that we deserve. This, this is a huge one. And this, this is something that happens all, you know, not all the time, but too often in the Christian thinking is that, uh, this is karma. As long as I have enough good things over here, it's going to balance out this one bad thing that I think I can get away with or I think I deserve. So it's this life. Remember, I've talked to you about this before. Everybody look at this. This is all the good me. This is everything I want you to see. And because I do all these things, I'm entitled to this right here. Now, some of you are looking at me with curious eyes. like, I don't do that. Good. Don't. But really great men and women have done that, and it's been the end of them. Heard about David? He was this king of Israel. Would it surprise you to know that David's greatest and most grievous sin occurred at his highest peak in leadership in Israel? I mean, he, was, he, had, he had gone through a giant. He had outlasted a, a wicked king named Saul. He had risen to power. He was defeating all of his enemies. I mean, he was at his zenith. I mean, he was, he was killing it out there. And he's standing on his porch one night, and he looks down. He sees a beautiful woman. You know, the scene was lit by the torch. It was very sensual. And he says, I deserve her. And he sends his servants to go get her, and he sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. And if you know the story, it goes from there, and it is one hot mess after another. It leads to murder. He murders this woman's husband. And it becomes the undoing of his, of his, his kingship. His son dies as a penalty for his sin. I mean, it's bad. 
And when did it happen? Well, when he was most desperate, when he was running for his life from Saul. That's when he sinned, right? Because everything was bad. He just he took advantage of whatever Satan would offer him. No, he, he, was, per, he was bad at a 1,000. Every chance that he had to, to jump ship and, and go in a direction on his own outside of God's path, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He even had Saul in his sights one day in a cave. Could have killed him. Could have ended the whole thing. He just cut off a piece of his robe, the Bible tells us. And he yelled from across the valley and he held up his robe and he said, Saul, I could have killed you. I didn't because it wasn't God's time. I'm going to trust God to take care of whatever's between us. So in his lowest of moments, faithful. In his highest of moments, sloppy. And he took for himself what was never his. Happens, to, happens all the time. Pastors, uh, you need to pray for us in leadership. Because at the height of a pastor's ministry success, and it's not ever a pastor's success, it's God's success through a guy. Can we all just be honest about that? The pastor of this church is not Mark Saunders, it's Jesus Christ, okay? And if anything happens here that's worth anything, it's because Jesus did it, all right? Okay, I'm glad you agree. But here's the deal. People in power positions, they can start thinking, well, man, I'm all that in a bag of chips. So I'm going to start just kind of taking advantage of myself in my position, and I'm going to do things you know, that, uh, well, they end up being the undoing. Church, does anybody think the roaring lion out there is, is, uh, is, is uh, most targeting the leaders of the Christian church? You've got to believe it. Because, man, if you can ace the leader, you can ace the followers, right? Happens all the time. I went to listen to a guy uh, preach that was one of my favorite teachers. I don't get to listen to preaching every week because I preach at a church. And so I listen to guys online, and one of the guys that I've just grown under and and really admired as a, as a teacher. He's not teaching anymore. Now, he didn't sleep around on his wife or do anything like that. Didn't embezzle any funds. But he, he just had uh, some little trees, I'd call them. Little trees in his how he treated his, his staff and some things that he said. Just little itty-bitty things that became big things that ultimately led to him deciding, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to teach anymore. I don't feel like it's the right thing for me to do. And his church folded. I went to his website. It's not even there anymore. It's one of the fastest growing churches in America. I mean, it's not even a crazy church, you know, or there's lots of wrong theology and stuff like that. It was just a legit Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. And even that kind of success can breed sloppiness. Are you with me? Hey, write this down if you're taking notes. It's not in your slides or anything. But what I'm really talking about today is the will of God. That's what we were designed to do. If, 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 if you understand God and his existence and your existence, you understand that God made you for a purpose. It was to bring him the glory that he's deserving of. We'll talk more about that later. And the way that we do that was, is we live within his will. We walk this path that he has for us. It's called righteousness. Okay? It's, it's doing the right thing. It's doing the God thing. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay? Sin is anything that steps off of that path. It's, it's called unrighteousness. The Bible, the Greek word for sin is hamartia. It just means miss the mark. You know, uh, a misfire, a misstep. And so in this, this whole thing, we have the choice. We can either follow Jesus in, in, in his path and, and walk God's path for our lives, or we could follow not God and follow ourselves and, and step off the path and do what we want. The best life that we can live, the happiest life that we can live, guess where it is? On the path that God has planned for us. That is the best life you can have. Is it going to be a constantly happy life? No. Quit expecting that. We'll talk more about that in a second. But is it going to be the happiest life you can have? It's the most fulfilling, the most joy-filled. It is the best life. Life 
and life abundantly. All right? What do we do? What does sin cause us to do? It's caused us to believe that we can have a better life away from the path. So we have the choice, righteousness or unrighteousness. Stay on the path, step off the path. Righteousness will always protect and provide. That's what I wanted you to write down. It took me a while to get there. Sorry. Righteousness will always do two things. It will protect you and provide for you. Unrighteousness is the complete opposite. Unrighteousness will always destroy you. I can't remember the other one, but I'll say it this way. It will always deplete you, not provide for you. Are you with me? So that's what this comes down to. And my hope as we move forward in this is that we would understand that our life was meant to be lived in righteousness on that path that God has for us. And so whatever your big trees are, whatever your little trees are, today's the day. Everybody look at me. Everybody hear me. By the power of Jesus in me, I pray that you hear him through me. Today's the day. Sin has had its way in your life long enough. It is time to change. It is time to be freed from the grip of the lies of our adversary and for you to move in a direction that will honor God, give you the happiest, most fulfilling life that you can have. It's time for righteousness to reign in your life and for unrighteousness to be done. I believe that can happen because Jesus overcame sin and he's in you and me so we can overcome ours by the grace of God. Amen? All right, so let me start preaching. <laughs> what are some of the more common ways that we are tempted? Let me, let me talk to you from the life of Christ about these common ways. There's three of them, and, and let's get to them so we have time to cover them all. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, says in chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke, he yeah, returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I, I skipped over some verses in chapter 3. There's a long uh, a list of, uh, 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 you know, uh, ancestry of Jesus there in the back end of chapter 3. But just before that, we, we see the story, the report of Jesus' baptism. He's baptized by his uh, cousin John. And at that baptism, this great thing happens. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then the voice of God the Father, loudspeaker, comes out of the heavens. And he says these words. He says, you are my son, and in you I am well pleased. Now in the other Gospels, it says, this is my son. But here in Luke's gospel, he's very careful to make it a personal pronoun. You, like God the Father is talking to God the Son, and he says, you, you're my son. You're my boy. And I am jacked. I am so excited. I'm so pleased by you. you 30 years you've been on the earth, you've just been nailing it. Way to go. I mean, if, if God the Father shines a light on you right now, and Mark shuts up, and the voice of God comes from heaven, and he says, Patrick, you're my son, and in you I'm well pleased. Is Patrick going to be like, that's right. Because he's just been commended by God the Father. I mean, Jesus, this was like, this was like, a, you know, up to this point in his life, it was like, wow, I have the stamp of God's approval. So what does he do? What does God lead him to do? Well, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's get you a crown. Let's get you set up on the throne. You're my son. Let's do it. Is that what he does? No. He takes him out in the woods. Actually, not the woods. It was the desert. There's uh, not a lot of woods in the region where Jesus was led to by the Spirit. Uh, it's, uh, it's barren. There's no food. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, for 40 days he hung out there in the desert. And, and during that time he was being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days. He fasted. 
uh, probably out of, out of just necessity. There was nothing there to eat. Uh, but I think the Holy Spirit led him to fast, to deny himself, uh, and, and that's what he did for 40 days. We're not used to that around here. We fast for about four hours at a time here in America, <laughs> if that. And, uh, but he, he went 40 days. Uh, when, they, when these days were ended, the fast came to an end. Uh, guess what? Jesus was hungry. Really? Yeah. He was human. He, he needed to eat. And that's, that's the setting or the scene in which this first temptation comes. Satan shows up. And uh, he's, he's going to basically first tempt Jesus with good things over God things. Be careful of the good things that uh, get in the way of the God things in your life. All right? He comes to Jesus, and this is what he says, says to Jesus. He says, hey, if you are the son of God, he actually uh, phrases two of his temptations this way with his if clause. He says, I'm not sure you are, but if you really are the son of God, well, here would be a cool thing for you to do. This would be a great way for you to use your powers as the deity. He says, if you're the son of God, why don't you command this stone to, to become bread? Hey, see that rock over there? It's shaped like a burrito. Why don't you just make it one? Come on, man. It'll be delicious. You haven't eaten for 40 days. You have to be hungry. Jesus is like, I am hungry. He says, well, here's the deal. If you're the son of God, you, you, you have power over matter. You can, like, literally change things, make things from nothing. You, you did that. That's how we got here. So go ahead. Just, hey, no one's here. It's just me and you. Just go ahead. It's a good thing. You're hungry. Feed yourself. Use your powers. Not, you know, because God told you to. But, you know, I, I told you to. Okay, technicality. But use your powers to, to create for yourself something that will make you, and, and follow me on this, something that will make you happy, something that will make you content, something that will give you comfort. Are these values in the American culture? No, life, liberty, and the pursuit of? Happiness. We're all about it. That's why we're here. I want to be happy because I'm happy, right? That, that, that's, I mean, we love that idea. Everybody be happy. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here. Everybody get happy. No one wants to be unhappy. We try to stay away from unhappiness. Now, is God against happiness? No, just so we're clear, God created happiness. Happiness is the emotional derivative that comes from something we know is a spiritual thing called joy. Joy is this, uh, regardless of your circumstance, contentment that comes from knowing that you and God are cool and that he's got you and it's all going to be all right. But from that comes, a lot of times, just really good things that happen in life, and those things make us happy. We get used to it. We've been blessed. We don't deserve to be happy. Everybody understand that's what sin should bring to us? Just, just bleh, not, not happy. But God, by his grace and mercy, has given us good things, and those good things make us happy. Who's, who's with me on that? Now, we get so used to that that we think that should be the norm. And so when things come to our life that don't make us happy, we're like, well, wait a minute. The whole point of life is happiness. My ultimate in life is happiness. But everybody look at me and hear this. If you don't hear from another church, hear it at this one. The point of life is not happiness. In fact, the happiness in life is impossible constantly in a sinful world. You're going to be unhappy in a broken world. It's just part of it. So if you make happiness the point of your life, you're going to be a disappointed person. And it's going to lead you into sin because you will sacrifice what is the true point of life. Everybody say it with me. Oh, you don't know what I'm going to say. (laughs) I'll tell you what the true point of life is. Sounds like happiness, but it's different. It's called 
holiness. You're going to sacrifice your holiness, staying on that path that God has for you, for the sake of your happiness. And that's what Satan's tempting Jesus with. Hey, man, God's got this path for you. You're out here in the woods. The Spirit's led you out here. Uh, You haven't eaten for 40 days. Your fast is over, but God hasn't, like, you know, sent Subway down from heaven for you yet. So why don't you just take things in your own hands, make yourself happy. You have the power to do it. Go for it. Can't be wrong. And Jesus looks at him and says, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. Because in this life, I'm not guaranteed happiness. Maybe right now I'm not supposed to be satiated. If, if I'm supposed to eat, God will provide. And even if I'm not supposed to eat, even if I die out here, guess what? My, my meaning in life is not tied up in my earthly happiness. It's tied up in my heavenly holiness, and I'm going to seek to honor God. This is what he says to him. Look at what he says. Uh, Jesus' response to him is, hey, God's better than this. God's better than being happy. I'd rather be holy than be happy. Look what he says. He says, listen, uh, it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And then he stops it there. But the rest of the verse, can I share it with you? The rest of the verse in in chapter 8, verse 3 of Deuteronomy is, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He he made a decision. I'm not here to be on this plane uh, satiated, comforted, happy. I'm here to be on this plane in line with what God wants. I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I hear this all the time for excuse, as an excuse for sins, especially when it comes to marriage. I can't tell you how many marriages ended, have ended because people just weren't happy. Okay, did you seriously think when you put the dress on that this was just going to be a walk in the park the whole time? You're like, I'm not talking about that, Mark. I can handle some unhappy. But it's the ongoing unhappy that I just couldn't take. Okay, let's work on it. Let's figure it out. But you don't get a ticket out of a commitment that you made before God because you're unhappy. I I wish it wasn't that way. I I wish that happiness would come to you. But you can't say that this this is the thing that people say. God would want me to be happy. Therefore, I'm going to do Oh, You don't know God. Like, I got a three-year-old that comes over to my house, okay? Uh, his mom is, is Chelsea. She's our daughter now. We love her and our, th- his name's Asai. It's a three-year-old. And they come to our house. They're family now, okay? But he's three years old. He's learning. And so he'll come. He'll leave his shoes on. He'll jump on my couch. But, but it's springy. It's what those things were for, right? When you're three years old, that's, that's what that's for. I can bounce on this thing. I'm jumping on that. And so he's jumping all over my couch with his shoes on. And so I'm looking around. No one else is saying anything. So I was like, hey! Knock it off. You don't jump on my couch. And this is what he does. He stands by the edge of the couch. He's like, because what's he going to do? Well, we're going to find out if you really mean that. Because I'm going to load the springs of my legs one more time and start to jump on this. And what do I do? Okay, I didn't mean it. Go ahead. Is that what I did? No, I was like, don't make me come over there. We don't jump on my couch. (laughs) Now, I can't hit him because there's loss. But I can, I, could, I can put the fear of God in them. And if you just make that move, they know you're serious, right? So what's he do? He knows he can't jump on the couch anymore, so what's he do? He's three. Sits down in the corner. Now, a lesser parent in this situation might come up and try to placate him. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Let's give you a coloring book. Am I doing that? No. 
Because it's not my job as his caretaker in this situation to make him happy. Parents, your job is not to make your kids happy. Your job is to make them right. Now, don't be a jerk about it. I try not to be a jerk. But I'm not letting some kid pout, manipulate me into doing whatever's going to undo them being right. I mean, if they grow up to be a 25-year-old and still jumping on couches, they're never going to get a date. You know what I'm talking about? They've got to learn this stuff now. And so the most loving thing that I can do is to let them be, look at me, let them be unhappy. You know, one, of most, one of the most loving things that God can do for you sometimes is to let you suffer. Well, I guess it doesn't seem like God at all. You're not reading them right. You're not reading them right. God loves you, but he doesn't promise to make you happy. He gives it to you a lot of times, but in the times that you're not, he still loves you. And it's still worth following him, even if whatever you're following him doesn't make you happy. Don't don't choose the things that will make you happy. Choose the things that will make you holy. Can I go to the next one? Here we go. When you're tempted, a lot of times you're tempted by thoughts of power and control. Who likes to be in control? Anybody control freak out there? Oh, this is, this is the most honest service of all four. And all the other services are like, you're not going to get me on that, Saunders. There's no way. I am totally in control over here, and I'm not letting you know that I am a control freak. <laughs> well, thank you. That was very honest. Everybody's like, totally. Yeah, humanity, that's, that's, that's part of the whole God complex that you and I have, like that started with Adam and Eve. Um, that, that's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, right? You'll be like God. You'll be in control, right? And that's kind of the part of our sin nature that we have a hard time kicking. And so we love to control things. We love to manipulate things so that they go in our favor. And that's a lot of times how Satan gets us off size. He says, hey, you know what? I'll give you the power to kind of work around some stuff. And you can have control of your own destiny. That's what he says to Jesus in this next one. He says the devil took him up to a, uh, uh, or took him and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. I don't know if he had an iPad and he's just like, okay, here's Moscow and here's New York. And, but he showed him all the kingdoms of all the world. Yeah, and in a moment of time, he says, here they all are. This is your future. This is your destiny. Because what does Revelation teach us? That Jesus will be crowned king of kings, lord of lords, right? And he shall reign, right? So this is your future. But Satan, he doesn't say it here in, in as many words, but he says, you know what? There's going to be a lot of messy stuff that has to happen before you can get there. Like you're going to have to, you know, walk around Israel for the next three and a half years. And then at the end of those three and a half years, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go into Jerusalem for, uh, for Passover. And you know this, they're going to kill you. They're going to nail you to a cross. I mean, for you to become king of kings and lord of lords, it's going to cost you much, all, right? So he says, listen, i got to work around on that. He says, to you I'll give all this authority and and, and all the glory from it, for it has been delivered to me, and and I give it to who I want. Is this true? Is, Is Satan in charge of everything? Yeah, for a time. Just so you know, Ephesians tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of this world. And, and, and God has allowed him for a time in this sin-marred you know, life that we live, this world that we live in, to, to kind of be in charge. So he's not wrong. I mean, you, you can kind of see it throughout history. Some of the governing uh, you know, leaders, you think maybe Satan had a, a, a little play in choosing them. Hitler, heard of him, right? So, uh, yeah, he, he, he can, he can kind of orchestrate a little bit. You know, who runs things for him? And so he says to Jesus, hey, I'll let you run things for me. It's, it's mine to give away. 
But then he, he reads the small print. Who's ever read a contract or like read like an ad in the paper on Saturday for a car? De- you know, cars, $1, right? No money down, no payments until 2050, right? You read that and you're like, that's a free car. I am there. But then down at the bottom, there's this disclaimer. You've got to read it with a magnifying glass, but it's down there. It's, you know, three pages in like one little section. Uh, but this is the disclaimer that Satan gives Jesus. He says, oh, by the way, in order for you to have this work around, you just have to worship me. <laughs> but it will all be yours if you do. Now, let's go to Jewish preschool. If you were a three-year-old in, in Israel at the time, the first thing they would teach you is the Ten Commandments. They probably teach you the Shema, which is the prayer of Israel, but then they teach you the Ten Commandments, just like we teach our kids the Pledge of Allegiance and whatever. But uh, that's what you would learn in, in Jewish preschool. And so every three-year-old in, in Israel knew the first commandment, which is what? You shall have what? No other gods before me. So Jesus, from the time he's like three, knows that this is a no-no. You don't worship anybody except the one true God of Israel. This is just out of bounds. And so he's got a choice. He can either choose that path I was telling you about, righteousness, worship God and him alone, or he can choose this workaround. I, I, listen, I can skip all the hard stuff that's going to be in, you know, in my future on my way to being the king of kings and lord of lords. And if I just worship Satan for a little bit, I get that. And this is our temptation. And this is what Jesus wants to help us with. <laughs> I'm starting to uh, bid out certain things at my house. And I found out that there's certain uh, contractors out there who do some workarounds. Yeah, I can do this for you a lot cheaper if we just skip the permitting process. What do you say? I mean, you're way back here in the woods. Nobody's going to come back. If, it, if you don't get caught, it's not sin, right? And I could save you tons of money. And people do that all the time. You know why they do that? You know why you do that? You know why you do that? Because you're like, man, I'll have control over that other money. And I can do with that other money what I want. And I like that. And I don't want to submit myself to the process of the county. It's glacial. Those people take so long to get, oh, just that's going to take too much time. i got to hurry up. And so I'm going to do this workaround to get what I want when I want so that I am the one who is in control. Jesus wants to save us from that temptation. He goes on and he says this. This is what Jesus says in response uh, to Satan. He says, hope they didn't leave up there. Our response is that God's got this timing and all. I'm going to trust him and his timing. He says this in the verse. He says, Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He just basically quotes for him, Exodus 20, verse 3. I'm just keeping with the first commandment here, Satan. That, thanks for the offer. Thanks for the workaround. But I'm going to stick with what's right, because I know that what's right is going to protect me and provide for me, and what's wrong is going to be destructive and detrimental to me. So he chooses that. He goes on to the next one. Satan tempts him. You know, he says, hey, test God. You jump off this high point in the tower, uh, in the temple, and, and we'll see if God saves you. And Jesus says, no. It says that in the scriptures that we're not supposed to put God to the test. We're not supposed to try to manipulate God. His, his point in all three of those temptations is that I need to stay here. I need to be right in the will of my Father. This is the best life I can live. And anything that you offer me away from this path is, is maybe not in, 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 in the uh, immediate, maybe it's not going to be that bad, but eventually it's going to lead to my destruction. 
And so by the grace of God, Jesus said no to Satan and sin. And by the grace of God, God wants us, with the help of Jesus, today to say no to Satan and sin so that we can have the life that we've always meant to, been meant to have, so that we can have a life that glorifies him. And if you don't hear anything else I say, understand. I'm kind of shamming everything together here at the end. Understand this. You and I are not the center of the universe. Did anybody's parents ever say that? Did my mom said, asked me that all the time when I got in trouble. Do you think you're the only person in the world? Do you think you're the center of the universe? You know, and I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, it just doesn't make, but, but, but I understand what she was saying. She was asking a theological question. Because when we sin, and I was, I was always getting those questions when I had just gotten done sinning, all right? She was theologically, you know, questioning me. She's saying, do you think you're the, you're the middle of everything? Do you think that everything revolves around you? And if you are prone to sin, if you're a habitual sinner in those areas of sin, here's what you've said. In this area, everything revolves around me. Because in this area, I deserve to be happy. In this area, I deserve to have what I want when I want, so I'm going to take the work around. In this area, God should just get with my program, and I'm going to manipulate him so that he follows me, not me follow him. That's sin. You're at the center of the universe, and God orbits you. If you don't hear anything else I say, and the whole time that you come to this church, hear this one thing. You and I are not the center of of the universe. We are not the point of existence. The God who made us is. Everything exists at his bidding for his glory. And if you can get your mind around that, and I can get my mind around that, then that changes the whole equation of this temptation thing. If God is the center of my universe, then my desire in life is not to make me happy, not to serve my needs and my wants so I have control. It's not so he can bend to my will. It's so that I can make him happy. I can glorify his name so that he can have what he deserves from my life. When you come at sin from that angle, it's a different conversation. So that's my prayer for us all at that rudimentary level, that foundational spot we'd understand. It's not about me. It's about him. And this life I live, I live for his glory, his purpose, and not for me. May God give you that mindset. And may you tackle the trees, small and large, in your life. By his grace and in the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who saves you initially from sin for eternity and saves you incrementally, day to day, moment to moment, choice by choice, from the sins that could invade your life and destroy his plan for your righteousness. God's grace to you all. Let me pray. Lord, thanks so much for a chance just to go through these things. I pray that today is a day, a, a day of new beginnings, a day of repentance for all of us in here, that we would submit ourselves to you, become the living sacrifices you've always intended us to be, that we would comply uh, with your standards and choose your righteousness. Now help us to come against sin by the grace uh, that is invested in us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lead us to a life lived for you. For your glory, I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great day.